Hey, hi, uh, I am Richard Donner, but you can call me Dick, and you're listening to Superman Movie Minute? Is that right? Did I do it right? Welcome to another exciting episode of Superman 2 Movie Minute, the show that scrutinizes, analyzes, and you'll believe a man can flies is 1980's Superman 2, five minutes at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, I'm one of your hosts, Rob Kelly, and joining me, as always, on this journey through time and space is... Chris Franklin. Hey, Chris, how are you doing? Good, Rob. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, and uh, I have to say, I uh, we have well, we have a special guest uh, with us this time. Now, last time he was on the show last season, uh, but we had a lot of problems uh, recording from where he was because he is near Hackensack, which, as we know, uh, was destroyed in a nuclear blast. Uh, right. Luckily, Superman turned the world back, and so now Hackensack is back on the map, and so is our guest, John Trumbull. Hi, John. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me again. Great to be <laughs> yeah. back. <laughs> I'm no longer living in a post-apocalyptic wasteland, thanks to the Man of Steel. Well, we both are still in New Jersey, John. Let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. So. Good point. Good point. So, so, anyway, yes, thank you for coming back. You were on Season 1, and now you're back for, for Superman 2. Uh, we're here to discuss minutes 85 through 90, which opened with Clark admitting that he failed Big time and ends with Lois agreeing with Jimmy Olsen that she knows his Superman's plays better than anybody. Uh, but before we get to the minutes in question, John, we have to ask you, since this is your your guest appearance on Superman 2, like, what's your history with seeing this movie? Did you see it in the theater? I, I definitely saw it in the theater. Uh, like you, I was like eight or nine when I saw it because uh, we're about the same age. And, uh, yeah, I loved it. Uh, my... My uh, late father, actually, who was an Episcopalian minister, he actually used parts of Superman 2 in one of his sermons. Uh, he drew, like, a parallel between Clark Kent Superman and, and Jesus Christ Superstar, which, as a kid, I always thought that was neat. That certainly perked my ears up on Sunday mornings. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so That's cool. You're trying to keep the kids entertained. Yeah, yeah. That was very cool. I guess this is considered the last temptation of Superman in a lot of ways, so I guess it works. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. That was that was kind of the the parallel that he drew. Is it's Superman? He's tempted by having a more mortal life, and so I think it really spoke to my dad in that way. Wow, that's that's I like that. I like that a lot. Making it contemporary, something for the young the young kids to hook into. That's uh, that's a very very mm-hmm. cool. Uh, so yeah, as we said, this, these minutes open with Clark admitting that he failed, and this is you know I, I mean geez, uh, this whole show is uh, one big w- attempt to wax Christopher Reeve's car, but I mean he's really quite good in this scene where he is reduced to tears. Uh, and he has to admit that he failed, and he did. He failed big time. I mean, you know, his his mother told him basically in no uncertain terms, "Don't do this," and he went ahead and did it. And it took him what a day before he realized it was a giant mistake. However long it took him to get to to Canada, but I mean, he's he's terrific in this scene, and I I appreciate uh, the uh, Christopher Reeve as an actor is able to show uh, vulnerability. You know, not make him. I mean, he's in his yeah. weakest state here. I think he's he's terrific in this scene. 
He's he's really good in the scene. Uh, there there is something about the scene that really bugs me when I rewatch the movie nowadays. Earlier in the movie, Lex Luthor and Miss Tessmacher they they go up to the Arctic to track Superman using the Alpha waves. And Luther prepares. He's he's got a snowmobile. He's got parkas. He's got caps. He's got goggles. Uh, Clark just goes back up to the North Pole wearing a windbreaker, and, <laughs> and he doesn't even think to buy gloves. And uh, I watch that now, and I'm like, yeah, I, I think I see why you have so much trouble beating Lex Luthor now. You yeah. don't plan ahead. Yeah, he really. Yeah, we we talked about that in the previous episode. It's like, how did he not freeze to death walking yeah. all the way to Antarctica? Because he has no power, and he's yeah. in like loafers and his Gap jeans and his windbreaker. That's really not enough. Uh, to buy to, a to pair make... of gloves, Clark. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they're in Canada. Surely they're available in Canada for Pete's sake. So I mean, yeah. Well, like as we talked about last time, apparently Lois got to keep the car, and Clark just went walking. Unless he drove the car and it broke down at some point, we just didn't see that. But yeah, so yeah, it, it, yeah, it's maybe he had enough solar energy still in him to keep him warmed up still <laughs> on the there walk you go. back. There you go. You're earning those no prizes right and left, Chris. Yeah, really, man. You're really working hard. You're doing a lot of the, the work of the screenwriters here. So after uh, Clark uh, begs his parents or begs his – he yells – actually, specifically, he yells father. Uh, yes. Uh, and, of course, of leading to a scene that we'll, we'll never actually get. He turns around and he sees – the crystal that last time we saw it, it was kind of just laying off to the side, put there by Lois Lane. And Superman really didn't seem to care about it, uh, buried in the snow, and it, and it comes up. And he goes and he grabs the crystal, and that's the end of this sequence where we, of course, figure that, all right, you know, I get the feeling like his parents are, like, in the heavens wagging their finger at him, like, all right, we mean it this time. Don't do this again. <laughs> this is your last chance, Clark. Um, yeah. Because it, it lights up. I mean, it's not lit up at all. Even though yeah. the fortress is glowing green, and I, in my memory, I was thinking it was glowing green because of that. But it, but it's not. I mean, because it's you can see if you actually watch the scene, you can see the crystal. If you know where it's going to light up, you can see it there, and then it lights up. Yeah. So, uh-huh. so it, it that's not what was lighting the scene. It was just, I guess, all the you know that was just the. Uh, the power down lights in the fortress or uh, the Aurora, Aurora Borealis uh, shining in there. I don't know, but, but uh, anyway, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's the fortress in low power mode. It's, exactly. it's in the sleep mode. There you go. <laughs> so of course, I mean, I, I remember seeing this movie in the theater and I remember being very excited that, I mean, I knew even at nine years old or however old I was, I knew Superman was getting his powers back, but it was very exciting when that crystal lights up because you're like, oh, oh, okay, you know, he's got one more chance to do this, and I like that. And so that was that was really cool. I mean, I am kind of curious as to how the fortress gets fixed because as we've seen, it's it's pretty pretty charcoaled out. Uh, I yeah. mean, I guess does the crystal fix all of that? I don't know. I mean, we never we, we have to put that together ourselves because we never see exactly how the fortress gets fixed. I'm, yeah. I'm assuming so, yeah, because it seems to be more or less in regular shape by the time they get back. Right. To the fortress later in the movie. Spoiler alert, uh, yeah. John. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> I think Zod does say something about it being scruffy or something like that when he goes over to the, oh, that's right. the control panel. Yeah, no yeah. style at all or whatever he said. Yeah, yeah. Uh, d- didn't he talk about it being like a monument to a dead world or something yes. like that? I mean, he's yes. like already moved on from Krypton. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> not, not a sentimental guy, General Zod. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, they ban- if they banished you, you know, to a prison uh, for for all eternity, I imagine you wouldn't be too sentimental about it either, John. But you know, probably not. Yeah. Probably not. Uh, speaking of General Zod, we then cut to the White House, and we see Non playing with <laughs> a little mindless toy on the desk of the White House, and he's really fast. I love that. I love Jack O'Halloran's take. He's confused by it. I love <laughs> that he's like, "Well, how does this work?" I think that's great, and he even gets a little frustrated. He kind of like pulls yeah. his head away, like, "Oh, I don't understand this." I mean, I've I've been that way a lot of times with people, uh, but in this case, it's an object <laughs> where he just gets frustrated and walks off. Yeah, it. it I like that. It makes you wonder how long was Nan staring at that thing? Yeah, you know, right. like, <laughs> couple days, six I mean, I hours. <laughs> so then we have a shot of of Zod criminally bored, and so is Ursa. And I like this turn because I mean, in every other comic book movie ever made it's always the vil- the villains want to world conquer and of course here are the villains have accomplished that and now they're bored out of their skulls and i yeah. love that and i love that ursa tries to entertain zod by saying you're the master of all your survey and he won't have it he's like as i was yesterday and the day before i love this is such a fun turn yeah it's it's a great twist and I mean, I'm, I know you guys have waxed rhapsodic about Terrence Stamp in this movie before, but this is my first chance to do it. So Terrence Stamp is so damn good in this movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he just he takes what you could argue is an underwritten role and he just he plays the hell out of it. And he's he's like just on the verge of camp throughout the movie, but he never really teeters over the edge. I don't think he's still like a frightening bad guy, but he's his line readings are just so delicious. I love it. So much. Yeah, yeah no, I would, I would argue, yeah, this is, I would say this is not a camp performance. Absolutely. Yeah. He's, and he has done camp. I mean, uh, you know, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. He's, he's, full, mm-hmm. he's done full on camp. But this is, <laughs> this is cartoony, but not camp. Doc, Doc Savage was kind of camp. Not that he's in yeah. it, but that yeah. kind of thing. But no, this is, this is Darth Vader level kind of thing where it's right on the line of silly, but he kind of reins it in just enough. Yeah, he knows exactly just what, which line to hit. I mean, he knows... And he just has a real command over his craft, and I, I can't help but admire that. Yeah, he's he's fantastic. I mean, Rob and I have talked, you know, how he's he's very he's effortlessly cool through most of it. There's just a few moments where he gets, you know, gets kind of you know angry dog, you know, like mm-hmm. foaming at the mouth, and and those moments mm-hmm. are fun too. But I mean, you know, he's just so you know he's just so nonchalant, just looking through a book as he sits at the. At the Oval Office desk, you know, it's, you know, and Ursa laying on that desk. I mean, she's showing a lot of thigh there (laughs) in this scene. It's probably the most action that desk saw in between Kennedy and Clinton. I'm saying, you know. (laughs) I I remember reading an interview with Sarah Douglas, uh, like around the time of this movie, where she was saying that, like, her costume, like, you know, it's got these slits that make you. It seems like you're seeing more than you actually do, and this is a scene where you're like seeing a fair amount. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. um, it is. It's kind of like what they called on the original Star Trek show the uh, the the thesis titillation principle. After the, mm-hmm. the costume designer William Ware thesis, where it was he would always try to cut the female outfits in a way that it was showing like an unusual part of their body, like a part that you wouldn't usually see, and and that was very titillating in itself. So I, you see that theory in action here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now uh, at the one twenty uh, eighty six minute at the eighty six minute mark, excuse me, uh, we get we're reminded, hey, Lex Luthor's in this movie. 
Uh, he comes back, uh, and he's waving the white flag. I am. It's kind of funny to think that the White House uh, has no security anymore. That Lex Luthor can just walk right up to the the, the the grounds of the White House and get in the building. I guess they have gotten rid of everybody there. But yeah, Gene Hackman returns as Lex Luthor, waving the white flag. And I, as I was taking notes for for these minutes, uh, I have the least amount of notes. Uh, pretty much of any episode to this point from the because this whole all most of these minutes is just the sequence but it just because i love it so much it is so fun to watch Mm -hmm. gene hackman just chew the hell out of this comedy sequence where you know he has to luthor has to ride this line of being obsequious to these three because he knows that they can tear him apart but also he cannot hide his contempt for people who he considers vastly inferior to himself which is everybody (laughs) which is everybody right yeah (laughs) yeah it it, i mean i i I love i love the fact that you know he when he touches you know he's he's leaning against the mantle and he puts his hand on ursa Mm -hmm. (laughs) ursa's hand (laughs) Mm -hmm. and she and she crushes it and he's also in a very similar pose to george washington above him which i think is great i didn't even notice that that's funny yeah (laughs) yeah and, and again like Hackman, he can play those light moments, but he he also still maintains that air of menace. Like, Luther's never a total joke. You always believe that he's an evil guy, that he will do evil stuff. So, well, he's I don't got, know. he's got a plan. I mean, he, has, mm-hmm. he knows that he has some. I mean, he has, he's going to get to it in a second. But, yeah, before we get to that, I love that. I never noticed that, Chris, that he is kind of standing like George Washington. I love him pointing to his own brain. I love that. You know, Lex Luthor's keen. Lex Luthor's savvy. Uh, he's all really impressed with himself. He's great. I love that weird ring that he's got. I'm not sure what that is. But then he puts his hand on Ursa. Ursa crushes his thumb, uh, which is great. I mean, this is – I just – this to me is just of, – of Terrence Stamp and Sarah Douglas and, of course, not so much Jack O'Halloran because Jack O'Halloran is mute. But just the fact that they have to underplay – uh, this this guy who is just being hilarious in this. And, you know, I, I, I haven't mentioned it actually in several episodes. I'm proud of myself. Uh, but in the commentary track for the first movie with uh, Donner and our pal Dick Donner, of course, and, uh, right. and, and Tom Mankiewicz, uh, Mankiewicz refers to Lex Luthor as an out-and-out comedy part. And I remember mm-hmm. thinking, I was like, what? Is it really? And now when I sort of watch it here, and I'm like, yeah, it really kind of is, especially in the second movie. He really is the jokester here. I mean, he's coming in and he makes fun of these three. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only person that really can for the most part. I love all that. But then he gets, you know, again, he's 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 desperate to to let them know that he thinks they're superior. But he knows he kind of can't quite do that because he knows they could microwave his insides. So then he gets right to the deal with the whole, you know, let me offer something that you do not have. The son of Jor-El. And I don't know, I don't know about you guys, but there's something I feel almost um it feels untoward that Lex Luthor knows Jor-El. Like he just it mm-hmm. feels really he shouldn't have that access to that information. The way he says <laughs> right. it. He should call him yeah. Superman. It's it's too personal that he knows Superman's father's name. I just it bothers me very much that he that he's aware of that info. Yeah. yeah. I mean I, I think I think Hackman was like hot he was free to be like maybe a little lighter yeah. in this movie because he wasn't the main villain anymore. Right. The, 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 the main threat wasn't on his shoulders. So he, he's playing some other colors, but yeah, it is an interesting violation that Luther knows about the Kryptonian 
background, or well, he knew about the Kryptonian background before in the first movie, obviously, but now he knows Jor-El. Yeah. So he, he's really getting personal now. So. Yeah, it's you know Lex is kind of because he, like you said, John, he is not the main threat, but he is has kind of slid not to the extreme, of course, but slid into the Otis role in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. With with these three, so it's it's kind of interesting because you know he's definitely the weaker character that the the other characters will threaten a lot <laughs> in every interaction they have. So I mean, it, 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 in a way, it really works, which is probably one reason why they jettisoned Otis earlier on in the movie. So because and, and Miss Tessmacher later on, yeah. Right. I yeah. mean, because you don't really need a comic relief for the comic relief. So, right. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, it's it is a shame that they lost those two very talented actors. But yeah, there is no there is no room for them in this movie. There just isn't. So I love that he refers. He says, you know, as you know him, Superman. And of course, that gets Zod all excited. You know, where he mm-hmm. gets all like, and I love that Ursa pushes Luthor towards yeah. Zod. I think that's a great. She just gives him a shove. I love that. I mean, it's and I, and we you know we've been Chris and I have been going over and over about this. We're really impressed with Sarah Douglas in this yeah. movie because she doesn't mm-hmm. get a lot of dialogue, but she's really in there pitching. I mean, the look mm-hmm. that the look that she gives Luthor cuz at this once Luthor says Superman, Zod is off. You know, Zod is like, "Oh, now I just want my revenge." But Ursa is looking at at Luthor, like she the way she the way she looked at that snake, she does not trust this guy, and she's mm-hmm. walking behind him the whole time. And every moment, she's got her eyes on the back of his head, and I really like it. I, it's a really, no, I mean, look, that's what you're supposed to do as an actor. You're supposed to be in yeah. the moment. You're not just waiting for the other person to stop talking for you to start talking. But nevertheless, I mean, I. For for the however many times I've seen this movie, I'm not paying that much attention to to Ursa. I'm looking at Luthor because he's the one talking. But when you look at her, it's like she's really doing like a different thing here. Or you know, Zod trusts Luthor at this point, kind of takes him at his word because mm-hmm. of course Luthor seems to know things. The son of Jor-El, Superman. But Ursa is more like no 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 no. I don't like this guy. And I really I that's a nice choice of of uh, sarah douglas or at the very least the screenwriter mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah that's, yeah that's a good point yeah she she really plays the hell out of what she's given i mean she is she is devoted to general zod and that is it and she hates and mistrusts every other man and you know it's also interesting that apparently the phantom zone villains haven't even seen a photo of superman by this point because if they had presumably they would have recognized the family crest from Jor-El on, oh, on his wow, chest yeah. and maybe made the connection sooner. But they've they, at this point, they've only heard about Superman. They don't... So it's kind of interesting that they've been on the planet for, I don't know, days, maybe even weeks, and they still don't have much of an idea about what Superman is or what he's about. At, yeah, at, no, at no point did they go to the president and say, do you have a photo of this Superman guy? You know, like, what, who, who are we talking about here? I mean, may, maybe that just shows, like, how little thought they devoted to Superman. Because, like, all the Earthmen are talking up Superman, but look at how impressive the Earthmen are to the Phantom Zone villains so far. So, you know, what what do these Earthers find impressive? So, <laughs> yeah. I, what does what Zod first say when he's, he first hears about Superman? Like, who is this idiot? Yeah, uh, who, like, who is this imbecile? Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> so... <laughs> So obviously he 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 doesn't think much of Superman, but he don't he only gets interested when he hears oh it's the son of Jor El. Well, 
It just so happens I promised to revenge myself on his heir, so this is really convenient for me. No, if you all remember that in the opening minutes of the first movie, I promised <laughs> revenge, and I'm gonna I'm gonna get it. So once Zod starts formulating his plan, he gets up from the desk, and then now Ursa's on board because she she does the thing with revenge, revenge, and then of course Luther chimes in, you know, revenge. And I love he says, "Now we're cooking, huh?" Like he's yeah. <laughs> just having the time of his life. And- yeah, and and that's such a nice moment. That I think they even put it in the trailer, didn't they? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a really cute moment. It's it. I, I love the just you know the, the fact that yeah I love when he talks about you know he keeps referring to Zod as oh your greatness your magnificence you know I mean <laughs> just just this what he every every time he addresses him it's some other you know royal title that he gives him you know right, some, right. some lordly title and it, I mean it's just and, and you know I love the line about you know you he is but one and you are three and. Four, if you count him twice, yeah, you know. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> and, and I also love that, like the movies, Luther. He's he's sharp enough and shrewd enough to like figure out what these these guys are all about and figure out well how can I play this to my advantage. And so he so he forms an alliance with them. I I love that. I love that Luther's smart enough to do that. Um, that's it's a really cool characterization for Luther. I, I also yeah. love that he gives Zod the lowdown on what he does. You know, he's like, does this mm-hmm. man fly constantly? <laughs> he just yeah. throws that in. That little back and forth is great. Uh, and you're right, Chris. I love the whole bit with the magnificent, which is dripping with sarcasm. Yeah. Uh, and then he figures Zod is kind of too unfamiliar with the Earth language to really know that 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 uh, he doesn't mean it at all. But then, yeah, he says, you know, but, but, but you know, you're only one. Well, you are three or four if you count him twice, which is just, mm-hmm. again, he's just – and then – Zod is off. I mean, I love that Zod has no plan. They just leave. They start leaving. Uh, I guess they're, I mean, they don't know where Superman is, but I guess they're just going to figure something out. Uh, And then Luthor has the temerity to yell, wait, and actually, like, he kind of forgets himself for a moment because he's literally in that moment ordering them around, Uh uh, which is great. And then we have the scene of them turning around. And the look on Terrence Stamp's face is great. He just looks so like, what? What do you want? He's so annoyed. And the, the, the single of the three of them in the doorway staring oh, yeah. at it is just like, oh, it's, I, to me, it's so iconic of, of just the, the look of just so annoyance of like, I can't believe we have to put up with this idiot. It's, I love it. Yeah, yeah. That, that is a great shot. And it's. <laughs> Just, just he's glowering. It's, yeah. it's just so wonderful. Just the look on his face, and uh, it's great. There's, there's one shot there when you're looking at Lex. He's in the shot. Hackman's in the shot, and in the mirror behind him, you see the Phantom Zone villains, mm-hmm. and that, that, that kind of shot. I mean, I'm not trying to beat up on Lester, but you know, you're back in a Richard Donner, Jeffrey Unsworth shot scene because mm-hmm. it's much more artful. It's it's you know with the with the idea of of a more cinematic uh, you know approach to it than and Lester said he wasn't after that that wasn't mm-hmm. if he had framed this shot I bet you wouldn't have got that you know you would have right. got the whole let's cram all of them into one in one shot so it looks like a comic book panel which was his approach and I'm mm-hmm. not saying one's well one is better than the other but I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> One is better than the other, but sure. I'm not saying it was aliens, but it was aliens. It was aliens, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, but I just love that because you're like, yep, we're back. Because it's, of course, Hackman's in this scene. It's a Donner scene because right. he never came back and filmed for Lester. So right. yeah, right. But you know, we we do get that great 
Gene Hackman body double with that sound alike, which is, <laughs> I mean, that effect, well, let's face it, that's pretty much seamless. I mean, would you even know about that if you did if you weren't looking for it? Right. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah I never noticed it <laughs> up, up until I got old enough to know, you know, the, the mechanics yeah. of the making of this movie. I love yeah. Terrence Stamp, again, with the underline where he just says, what do you want? He's just so frustrated. <laughs> He's like quaking with fury. But he also is smart enough to know that if he immolates Luthor with his heat vision, they might not never find Superman. So I, I love all that. And so, and then, of course, that's when Lex decides to really uh, twist the knife a little bit where he sits down at the Oval Office, which is, uh, you know, uh, a criminal mastermind behind the desk of the White House. That's crazy. I don't know, you know, only, only in the movies. Uh, and, uh, so he, he sits down, he puts his feet up on the desk and, uh, he talks about how he has this love of beachfront property, which of course we know, cause he tried to create his own beachfront property in the first film. Uh, you know, and then he's, he goes going on and on and, and, and he's really teasing this out and he's just annoying these guys. And then of course Zod gets closer and he just says again, what do you want? And then finally he does the Nixon victory sign. Australia, which is yeah. <laughs> such a great—I mean, it's like he's doing all this for sort of theatricality sake, even though nobody's there to appreciate it. And then, of course, mm-hmm. we have this hard cut to a globe of uh, the Daily Planet, and we're looking at Australia, which is a, a nice, if obvious, cut. I love that Lex the whole time he said it. General of the world's big place, and all yes. stuff. He's got that cigar in his mouth the whole time. I mean, now, <laughs> now he's not even—he's you know because he's got him where he wants him. Now he's not only going to sit at the Oval Office desk and prop his feet up, he's going to smoke a cigar in front of him and and mumble what he's saying with the cigar in his mouth. So, I mean, it's just this, <laughs> this total he, – he, he reeled him in, and now you know his, his pretenses for the moment are down. So it's like, yeah. <laughs> Thank goodness my needs are small. And, and you, I mean, considering that they're going to rule the, the rest of the world – just asking for Australia, that does seem like kind of a modest request to me. I mean, looking at it from a world conqueror perspective. I guess so. But, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you, if you look at it like that, yeah. I mean, they're not just going to – I mean, presumably they're going to also run the moon and, like, whatever other planets they can go to. So, yeah, you're right. I guess in, sure. in, the, in, in the grand scheme of villainy, it's really relatively reasonable. Uh, but, so- but, you know, he's, he's got a nice isolated area that he can call his own and mm-hmm. presumably run the way he wants it. And, and uh, uh, of course, Australia was founded by uh, – as a criminal uh, – you know, uh, colony, the place, yeah. a criminal colony, so it's perfect. <laughs> Otisburg, Australia has a great ring to it, don't you think? It certainly does. It certainly does. There's, there's, there's lots of peaks in Australia. I'm sure Miss Tessmacher can find a place for herself out there. So uh, now Huge we're tracks of land. Yeah, yeah. So now we're at the uh, back of the Daily Planet, and we get Mark McClure uh, and Jackie Cooper and Margot Kidder. She somehow made it all the way from Canada. Uh, wherever that was in Canada, back to uh, Metropolis, which presumably is on the East Coast. So now uh, Perry White is wondering, you know, where what's his play here? You know, and he says, we're deep, mm-hmm. we're deep, it's the, deep in the fourth quarter. We're on the five-yard line. How brilliant do you have to be? And I like that he's a little upset with Superman, you know? And then they have, there's the gag where he sees that him and Jimmy are pacing in parallel to each other, which he doesn't like. And then Jimmy has the line about... Uh, you know, don't worry, he'll be here. And Miss Lane knows his knows Superman's plays better than anybody, uh, isn't oh, yeah. it? Which is she certainly does. Uh, and that that annoys, <laughs> yeah, that annoys Lois because she says he'll be here, and then the under, you know, he'll be yeah. here, and then she sort of 
uh, turns her head off because she's, of course, she has no idea whether any of this is going to work or not. Uh, and she, she's you know, got a cigarette in her mouth that is like half ash. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> she is smoking that sucker down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this is, again, this is another a change from the first movie where we just saw Lois casually smoke uh, on the terrace the night of their date. And now in this film, in the Lester scene, she's chain smoking. You know, yeah. so. Yeah. <laughs> that's the change. That's the change. They, and, they picked and, up and took off and ran with it. <laughs> and you can definitely tell that this scene starts out as Lester footage because it's like Margot Kidder does not look the same. Like her, her hair is is uh like puffier than than in the Donner footage I noticed. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it was a wig or if it was just they didn't have the same hairstylist or something, but it's noticeably different. And once you develop an eye for it, you can't not notice yeah, it watching yeah. this movie. And and even like looking at, at this footage again, even Mark McClure looks a little different between the two bits of footage. Like his hair is a little longer or, or maybe not as uh, slicked down, but he looks noticeably older to my eye. Well, I mean, yeah. it's like what, almost about two and a half years between the production yeah. of some of these scenes? So, I mean, yeah. I would imagine, I mean, other than Jackie Cooper, who was you know, in his 60s and was still in his 60s by the time he did it. Yeah, I mean, Mark McClure is probably, you know, aging a little, noticeably, yeah. because he was a young man when he did this. both these movies. Yeah, he, he suddenly Jimmy Olsen does not look quite as boyish. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's starting to look more like Marty McFly's brother than uh, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You, need, you want him to slap on that Burger King uniform. Yeah. <laughs> And so that's uh, that wraps up these five minutes because it ends with uh, Jimmy saying that uh, Lois knows his plays better than everybody else, and it ends with the three of them just sort of waiting around to see if Superman uh, shows up. I'm pretty sure he's going to, but we don't know uh, just for the moment. But uh, he said this is – I mean I, I love these, these minutes just because we finally get Luther back in the movie. Uh, Gene Hackman and Terrence Stamp look like they're having the time of their lives playing off each other. Uh, it's just a blast. And they said Gene Hackman is just – he's just – so fantastic in this movie. And so I'm glad to have him back in the story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, definitely. I mean, we have, we have, you know, and other people have, uh, you know, say, well, you know, Luthor, the way they portrayed Luthor was, was, uh, you know, it was too campy. It was too funny, this and that. But, you know, and I, I think Rob, Rob and I have discussed over the course of both of these movies and, and you brought it up too, John, that mm-hmm. you never get the idea that he is not, a threat. He is a threat whether he's he's got nukes headed to California and, and Hackensack or he's just manipulating these guys. Lex is a threat. And yeah. I mean he, he's a threat with a lot of flair, you know, and a lot of flamboyance. Yes. And and I and I and Hackman, like you say, he he makes a meal out of it and it's just it's just a pleasure to watch it. It's just a it pleasure is. to watch it. It really yeah. is, yeah. It, yeah. it it might have been nice if they like took it another step further and they had Luther do some sort of double cross against the Phantom Zone villains and tried to take the whole whole shebang for himself, because that seems like a very Luther move to do. But mm. maybe that was just too much to fit into one movie, uh, especially as you're barreling towards the end, as we are by this point in the film. Right. And, of course, they knew that they only, you know, the Mankiewicz, uh, that's what he was writing. And, of course, they couldn't get Hackman back to do anything. So they were a little bit stuck with, okay, this is what we have yeah. to do. You know, we have to sort of jerry-rig this footage in here. So, But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a really, really fun sequence. And uh, things are going to start hopping very, very shortly. So, John? Uh, thank you so much for stopping by. We loved having you on the first season where we talked about the original movie, and now you're back for Superman 2. So thank you so much for coming on. 
Yeah, thank, thanks very much for having me. And I want to give a little special shout out to uh, the non-productive uh, studios uh, where I'm recording my end of this. Uh, there, that's a studio where I do my podcast, the SNL Nerds, through. And uh, our, my producer Frank Hablawi was nice enough to let me use the space for tonight. So. Very cool. Where can people find uh, SNL Nerds? Obviously, on, other than the normal podcatchers of your choice. Well, we are on all the various podcast services, so you can just do a search on SNL Nerds and find us that way. But you could also go to non-productive.com, and you can find uh, the SNL Nerds. And we've got like a lot of other cool podcasts too. Think of us as like the Earth Two version of the Fire and Water Network, because we've got stuff about TV shows, we've got stuff about comic books. Uh, so there's a lot of fun stuff. So if you like what you hear on the Fire and Water uh, Podcast Network, I think you'll like a lot of what you find on the uh, Nonproductive Network, too. All right. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, oh. thank, thank you very much, uh, Frank, and the Nonproductive Studios for allowing John to record. This was uh, very, very helpful. So, uh, Chris, before we sign off, of course, since uh, we recorded our last episode, uh, we have some kind of big news related to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Do you want to talk about that? Yes, we have launched the Fire and Water Podcast Network Patreon. Woo! We are on Patreon. Woo! Yes. So if you like this show and other shows on the Fire and Water Podcast Network, Feel free to contribute. (laughs) (laughs) Thank goodness our needs are small. (laughs) That's right. We're just after Australia. (laughs) You can go to patreon.com slash FW podcast, and there you can make a uh, one-time donation or a even better, a monthly recurring donation. And that will support all the costs that we incur uh, putting out all these shows on the fire and water podcast network. So uh, yes, uh, we're very excited about that. So, Hopefully, uh, out there, if you're listening to this, you can go over there and contribute. We really would appreciate it. Yes, very much so. Thank you. And uh, we're always talking Superman uh, movies over on Twitter, which is at Superman Move Men. And, of course, uh, we're, you can always leave comments on our website, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com. So I guess that is going to do it for this episode of Superman 2 Movie Minute. Once again, big thanks to John Trumbull for stopping by. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Trumbull Comic. That's T-R-U-M-B-U-L-L. Uh, comic, uh, and we also have a Twitter for the uh, SNL Nerds account. Uh, that's SNL Nerd Show, and we're getting ready to start up season forty-five of the show very uh, soon, before the end of September. So, season forty-five. My goodness, wow. season forty-five. Not of the podcast. Of <laughs> no, Saturday not of the show. podcast. Yeah, that's, <laughs> but yeah, we've only been doing the podcast for about a year. Yeah, but. yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, that's going to do it, and so come back next week as the adventure continues with Superman Two Movie Minute. Bye. Bye. Good afternoon, Mr. President. Sorry I've been away so long. I won't let you down again.